Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Unlearned, a self-rising production. I'm Jamie. And I'm CA. And we are your hosts. This is a podcast all about deconstructing who we are and exploring who we are becoming. Hey, babe, can we talk about the other day when we were on that road trip? Uh, Yeah, what about it? So remember when you asked me to change that navigation and I had to go into your phone and click a new address? Yeah. Okay, so when I was clicking into that new window, there was a text message that came up and it basically was like, hey, babe, talk to you later tonight, kissy face. And it was just popping up and I clicked into the maps and that it was just like a second. Um, But the way that text message was written was really concerning. Why? But why are you why? Why are you reading my text messages? Like, you're not supposed to be reading. That's my texts are private. Like, all I asked you to do was change the map. I didn't ask you to look at my text messages. Yeah, but you've gotten notifications on your phone, right? Like, I I didn't ask that text message to pop up. I didn't even click into the text message. It was just... But don't even read it. Like, why are you looking at it? Why can't I have any privacy at all? I... I don't know how to answer that question. I, I literally was looking at the map <gasps> and the text message. How often are you doing this? How often are I'm you not, on my phone I'm and looking not at my text? Looking at your text messages. I'm I'm that I wasn't even in the text message. I was right. in the map. Right. I don't Okay. And I'm just supposed to believe you. Okay. I'm can we just get back to the original point? I I'm concerned about the text I saw that that literally made it Honestly, look- I don't want to talk about it. I don't really want to talk about it with somebody that I can't trust because now you're looking at my messages and I feel like I can't even have any privacy around you and I don't I don't really want to talk about it. So no. And see. <laughs> and see. So we we just started and went right off. We, we hit it right off because we want you guys to understand how this conversation is incredibly difficult. And when you get into certain types of relationships that have a lot of harmful traits and a lot of toxic traits, you're going to see dialogues that are going to sound like this. So to kick off our privacy versus secrecy episode, we just wanted to give you that example. That example is unfortunately what a lot of people have experienced. Um, If you haven't experienced this, I promise you this episode is still going to be very valuable to you because we all struggle with the line between what is private and what then turns into something that is considered secrecy. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this is... um... A really good episode, guys. And we, as always, well, not as always, we talked talk to you guys about this before. Sometimes our episodes come like real easy and we're like, yeah, let's do it. And then other ones were like, okay, this one's really intricate. And this is one of those. So buckle up, get your thinking caps on, get your, get your nuance caps on because there's a lot going on here. And I guess we'll just dive into what we saw in that example. So basically what we saw going on there was one person really like they didn't actually violate this person's privacy. Like they did exactly what they were told, which is here, change the navigation on my phone. And during that, like a text, like the way that our banner notifications happen on our phones when they're open and unlocked, like it came through and she just happened to see what it said. It was not willful on her part. She didn't seek it out. She wasn't in there searching and scrolling and just happened. And what I find really interesting about this dynamic here in this example is that she actually didn't like launch into it right then and there. Like we can assume since this is a conversation happening later on, a day or two later, that 
they carried on just fine with whatever their road trip plan was, got to the restaurant, like probably everything was okay. And then she maybe found herself like thinking about it a little bit more and like really wondering, you know, this something about it made her uncomfortable and she was just seeking clarity from her partner. And what we see the partner doing is using the, the word privacy, but I'm going to go ahead and just say that he was probably using the word privacy incorrectly. Maybe, I don't know. Actually, I don't know why I'm gendering them the way that I am in our example, <laughs> they, but we're, they weren't gendered that way. Anyway, the, the second partner was using the word privacy, but in a way that I don't believe is really aligned with what actual privacy has to do. And we were, we are going to get into that nuance and those definitions there, but you saw the defensiveness, you saw that that defensiveness then turned into, um, now I'm going to make them the bad guy and say, you were violating my privacy. You're the bad guy here. And now I don't trust you. Now I can't talk to you about this. And now I can't, you know, whatever, like, trust you. I guess you must always that, you know, they go into the all or nothing. How often are you doing this? Are you just always looking at my text messages? So, you know, that kind of like overblown, reactive sort of behavior to me sends up definite alarm bells of like, that's really interesting because she actually, the or the first partner didn't actually say any of those things and they're not going into your phone all the time. They literally just accidentally saw the banner come through. And instead of providing clarity and information to the question that was directly asked, this person completely dodged. And to me, that's like a marker of secrecy. Right, right. You want to jump in? Yeah, when you think about how nothing was actually given to the person that saw the text, like they weren't given information about that text, like what CA just said, that's not, they didn't provide the clarity that that person was asking. And all, all that person really was met with is getting demonized, getting to be the bad guy. And then feeling as though, wait, did I do something wrong? Like, did I actually do something wrong? Did I have the ability to not read that text? Like they said, they said, why did you read it? Right. And to me, I just feel like that's so absurd because it's like basically throwing something in someone's face and being like, don't read this. Right. Uh, If you have the ability to read, most likely your brain is immediately going to start reading whatever thing just popped up in front of you. So we have a couple of toxic traits that we can break down here. I know we don't want to get lost in those toxic traits. So one of the things I want to make sure we're going to go right off the bat is yes, when you hear this type of interchange, there is some very concerning behaviors and we're not going to bypass those. We just need you to understand that they're going to kind of be present in some of the justification and examples. And it's important for you to realize that why we're tackling privacy and secrecy in this episode is because it's so misunderstood. And even the people that aren't exhibiting very, very harmful traits they may also struggle with the variant between privacy and secrecy. So please, we did lead off with a very intense example, but please know that if you also struggle with privacy and secrecy, that does not mean that you are immediately this horrible person that like needs 10 years of therapy. It just means that this is a very nuanced topic and many people do struggle with how do I know what is okay to be privately processed inside of my brain? And when does that turn into something that would need to be disclosed to a partner, a friend, a parent, a child, et cetera, all of those things in these relationships? That's what I find really interesting about this example is that the fact that the person number one like accidentally saw that text actually isn't really the most important aspect of the situation. It's going to feel like it is. And that's, and and usually like if somebody is keeping a secret, that's why they're going to latch onto that and make it about that. Like, well, you read the text, you shouldn't have read the text, but it's actually not about that. What's really going on is regardless of whether or not that partner ever saw that text, say that never happened. What's happening in this dynamic is the second person is clearly having some sort of like close flirtatious interaction with somebody that's not their partner. And 
that is something that is on them to disclose to their partner. And here's where the nuance comes in, right? Is like, if you make a new friend and, you know, like a new coworker or just a, a friend that you meet somewhere and you put them in your phone and now they're your friend. And like every now and then you like meet up with them or a group of friends you and you text coffee, every now and then. Yeah. And like, right. Like it's friendly and that's fine. Like that's, that's part of being a social human beings are social, right? Like we make connections, we have friends and whatever. But like clearly in this example, like the dynamic has now shifted into something more flirtatious and lovey-dovey. We were hearing baby, we saw kissy face. Like those are things you reserve for people that you're feeling more connected to than just a platonic friendship. And so the person who is experiencing that, whether the dynamic was always like that with this person or it started friendly and then shifted into that more like flirtatious, whatever, that was the moment when it was like on them, it was their responsibility to share with their other partner that, hey, there's this person and they're like kind of interesting and we're kind of flirtatious and I don't really know. Like, I just wanted you to know about that. But the thing is, like, when you keep that to yourself, and you think, oh, well, it's not a big deal. And maybe internally you're justifying it. Like you're trying to, it's fine. It's not a big deal. Like who knows? It'll probably fizzle out anyway. And then I'll just have hurt my partner for no reason by like bringing something up that never needed to get brought up. Well, the the problem with that is, and this is why it falls under the category of secrecy, is that and maybe now's a good time to define it, is that when you're secret keeping, when you're when you're having secrets in a relationship, whether it's a romantic relationship or family dynamic or whatever, it's information that actually affects the other person and or the actual relationship dynamic between the two of you. Privacy is stuff that just is in your own personal bubble. Lots of times we use the word silo, those like big things that you see on like farms where they like keep the corn and stuff. Um, You've got your personal silo, they've got their personal silo, and then you have a shared silo, this relationship dynamic between the two of you. And so your private life is stuff that just exists within your own realm. These are, you know, just your internal processes, your personal conversations you have with platonic friends and things like that, right? And then they have the same thing. But then there's this in-between silo where stuff is actually shared and mutual. And that shared silo is built upon mutual informed consent about what this relationship looks like for the two of them. And so in that example, the first person was operating on, we can assume, an understanding that their relationship meant like exclusive, you know, like sexual and flirtatious and romantic and emotional exclusivity. And so therefore, if this person, if person B, if person two is operating outside of that understanding, now the first person in that dynamic is no longer actually consenting to the relationship dynamic. That's not the dynamic that they signed up for and consented to. There are variations of relationship out there that could inform consent to that type of dynamic, right? There's all types of different ways that people can be in relationship and experience love and experience connection. We are, this episode is not, let's be clear, like this is not about like defining what is the correct way to like have a relationship dynamic. What is the correct way to have any dynamic is fully informed consent. Beyond that, it can look however you feel comfortable with. But in this case, person one didn't feel comfortable with his or her partner exploring romantic connections with other people. And that person kept it from them. And now there's a that's that's where the secret comes in. And that's where there's like a breakage of trust because this person was not actually aware of and therefore no longer fully informed consenting to the type of dynamic that they found themselves in. Right. And I think this is where people get a little confused because they're like, well, when I enter a relationship, I assume that like their life is my life and my life is their life. And I get to know every single thing about what's going on. And I need to be exposed to every single trauma. I need to get their location. I need to understand where they are, when, 
who they're with and what they're doing and blah, blah, blah. And to some degree, to some degree, there is a rational, moderated middle ground in there. Okay. There is a middle ground that can be mutually agreed upon. What we're defining for you guys is it's very difficult if you haven't had a relational talk with your partner about this and you've said, what is your expectation of my disclosure around my socialization with my coworkers? What is your expectation of how we are going to hang out and spend time doing hobbies. And are we going to be hanging out with each other? Are we going to hang out? Like, am I okay to hang out with some friends? Is it okay if they're the gender that I happen to be attracted to? Those are all conversations that need to occur because otherwise you're doing like the, you're doing this after the event and or after the meetup happened and there happened to be like, you know, two people that, you know, were, if I was a dude and I was attracted to women, I hung out with two women and there was one dude coworker and, you know, my partner finds out, wait, you were hanging out with two women last night. I just thought you were hanging out with coworkers, right? Well, this is why privacy and secrecy gets very confused between the two of them because they might, that partner who's recovering from maybe let's say a harmful relationship in the past might think, well, you purposefully didn't tell me that they weren't all dudes, right? Which is they're saying, I see that as a secret when the person who genuinely didn't see anything wrong with it saw it as, well, not necessarily something they had to keep private, but something that was a non-issue, a non-starter. It was a it was a moot point that they didn't see relevant to share. So you got to remember that trauma informs some of these perceptions of you're keeping a secret or you're not keeping a, you know, where you're, you're doing this and you're saying it's privacy, whatever. So some of this comes with like the dialogue. Some of this comes with the dialogue that needs to occur within the relationship. And yet we have to understand what sometimes happens around almost like, let's say I am opening up the door where we have zero privacy in our relationship. Me and CA are like dating and I, I literally give her everything. I give her my password, I give her my location, I give her everything, okay? Why this becomes difficult is if I, let's say, go to a jewelry store and I want to make sure that she doesn't see that I'm buying her a gift because I want to surprise her, and then she goes on the app and sees that I turned off my location, she might be like, what the hell, Jamie? Why did you turn off your location? Like, did you just do something really bad? Like, where were you? Right? And I sit there and I go, oh my God, like, wait, hold on. We're going at this all wrong. Like, this is not something that I want you to think is like, you know, something that's sketchy. I am trying to do something for you that is special. And I didn't want you to know where I was, right? So what's really interesting is when we have these dialogues about privacy and secrecy, it starts getting distilled down to trust and issues of can I look at my partner and believe what they're saying is true? And can I give them almost like the leeway to have some of that like privacy without it turning into secrecy. So let's talk about privacy turning into secrecy for a second. Okay. And me and CA, when we were brainstorming this episode, she brought up a really good example. And I think there's a couple of them that came across our radar, but I think I'm going to go with the like stronger example, just for the sake of you guys getting the big picture. So let's go back to me and CA being in a relationship. And, you know, in this case, it's a heterosexual relationship where she is the dude and I'm the woman. And I, you know, I'm late 20s. I'm starting to ask new questions of myself. And I start realizing, hey, maybe that heteronormative culture really took a number on me. And I never allowed myself to realize how in the back of my mind, I've always had some baseline attraction to women. And I always considered it in a different way. And like, 
maybe some of like the cultural norms informed that, but I never allowed that door to be open. So I sit there and I'm thinking, okay, so I'm not about to like open up this floodgate to my partner because I don't even know how I feel about this experience. I don't know if I'm bisexual. I don't know if I'm attracted to women. I don't know how I feel, but I'm trying to process that. All right. So I start journaling and I start processing that in therapy and I start taking the therapy notes and I put it in the journal and I start, and I'm doing this for like a few months. Okay. And I'm trying to understand for the sake of our relationship, where to go with this information. What am I feeling? Am I feeling very strongly where I might need to leave this relationship? Am I feeling like this is totally allowed to be coexisting where I'm just acknowledging that I have an attraction and I still am okay staying in a like straight presenting relationship? All right. What am I doing with that information? So that's going to take me some time. All right. And at what point, this is the difficulty, right? At what point in that processing does that turn from private processing into willfully not disclosing the distilled understanding about who I am and how that actually affects our sex life? It affects our my attraction level to my partner. It affects how I perceive, you know, being in this relationship for the next few years, right? All of that starts to get more and more defined, all right? So where does it turn into a secret? And this is where I'm going to bring you back to the silo. So if I'm individually processing something that, yes, it does actually affect the relationship, but I need to get to a point of semi-certainty, like at least a fair level of certainty where I'm not just like going to my partner and being like, I think this is what's going on. And then the next day being like, never mind, right? That's very emotional, volatile, and it can be very disruptive, right? So I take some time and I do that processing in my silo. I would make the case that it turns into holding on to something that is going to eventually need to be disclosed to your partner when you start coming to a sense of ownership, sovereignty over that experience, when you feel more convicted about how you feel about your sexuality, when you feel more certain of how you want to define your sexuality. All right. So If I get to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm bisexual and I'm not going to tell my partner, I'm okay staying in this relationship, but I'm not going to tell my partner that when I have some free time, I will actively like message women and flirt with women and you know, it's just women. So I sure he won't mind, right? Like, it's okay, right? Like, they, they're they always into women, right? Like, they're going to fetishize that, right? They're going to be okay if I talk to women, right? So do you hear the justification? Do you hear how, like, I'm just going to keep it to myself? Or you can play it off as a friend. You could play it off as a friendship. Sure. Oh, yeah, to, yeah. Oh, can I go, can I go stay over there? Like, yeah, like, that's fine. And I'll just be super flirty with them, right? Well, this is where I would say now it's looking as though... This is something that needs to be disclosed because what CA said, a relationship is a contract that needs fully informed consent. So when it starts looking like I'm no longer going to tell, I'm not going to tell my partner that they are partnered with someone that is kind of creating their own like version of their expression of sexuality and I'm not understand I'm not part of it at all like I I don't know so what happens if they sleep with them I don't like we need to know these things right so this is where I'm giving you that example of when it starts looking like a very solidified understanding of who you are yeah I would say go ahead and 
do the hard thing and share that with your partner. And then what is the contact? Like what it, or the pushback that I would hear people say, well, that's that they might leave me. They might leave me then because they might not want to be partnered with someone who's attracted to women and men at the same time. They might not, they might be very upset. Maybe they're very religious. Maybe they go, oh my God, I can't be married to someone like you, right? All right, well, here's our, here's the, here's the kicker, right? We need to be in partnerships where both parties are fully informed and fully autonomous going into those dynamics. Okay. So I can't be like functioning on my own thinking that I'm in a partnership that is all like one level. Like it's this, it's this perception of a relationship, right? Like I'm, we're monogamous, like nobody's flirting with each other. We, I perceive you as someone who's straight. I, I understand you as someone in this way. This is where I talk about the contract. You, by not explaining this, are changing the contract without their consent. As devil's advocate, I'm going to add, I'm just because again, what what are people going to say, right? Which is devil's advocate here is going to say, what if that person who does that self-exploration discovers that actually they are bisexual, but they do want to remain in the relationship and they you know, basically conclude that like genuinely and authentically, nothing is going to change about the relationship. They're not going to be flirtatious with women. They're not going to try to explore that part of their sexuality in any like real tangible way. They just, they discovered it. It's just information that lives in their brain, but it's not actually going to change or affect the relationship silo in any real way. In that case, would we say disclosure is necessary? I don't think it's necessary, but here's the here's the interesting point here. All right. I don't I wouldn't even say it it actually would turn into what I maybe would label as secrecy. The case I'd make here is if you are in a deeply bonded relationship with someone and you are attempting to be as authentic as you can be in this world. I think about, I'm going to take you out of this example for a second, okay? Let's do, instead of the relationship with like two partners, let's do a like mother and daughter, all right? My daughter's 20, I'm 45, and... She comes to the conclusion that she, it, let's go into the sexuality thing. She comes to the conclusion that she is a lesbian and she thinks, you know, what's the point of sharing that with my mom? My mom is highly religious. She is not, you know, friendly to that lifestyle and to that, you know, expression of sexuality. And so, What's the point? I don't plan on getting married. I don't plan on ever inviting her to anything that she's going to say. What's the point? And so this is this is why I want to give you this example for a second. If you are in a relationship with someone that you care about, and I don't care if it's a partnership or, you know, a friendship, platonic, whatever, okay? You don't necessarily owe anybody information. Let me clarify. You don't owe them that explanation of who you are. And I can make the case that deep relationships honor fully, how do I want to say this? Deep relationships see people for who they are. So if I was a mom and let's say I take out the factors of like the religious stuff, I would look at my daughter and be like, even if I don't agree with every single thing that you're doing, I want to know you. 
I want to know you. I want to know who you are. I want to understand you. So that's the case of, is it necessarily a secret? I don't know if it's a secret. I would make the case that by keeping all of these things maybe inside, like now let's go back to the partner. By keeping some of that stuff inside, what starts occurring is you don't get the luxury. You you don't get the luxury to live in your authentic self. That's where I was going to take it to. And that's what I realized is like, it's, it's not about what you owe them. It's about what you owe yourself. And like you owed it to yourself to be surrounded by people that want to know the full, full, full you, you know? And maybe sometimes we, out of fear, we've talked about this in other um, episodes, right? Like we might ascribe narratives to somebody else and not actually let them show up for themselves. And we might create a story in our head that they will reject me. This will hurt them. They don't want to know this about me. This is too real. This is too raw. Nobody needs to know that much, right? And so we stop ourselves from being able to live as authentically in our true expression of self when we do that sort of stuff. So I just wanted to speak to that. Well, and this is where I think people get very, mm, they, they're almost struggling with like, almost like a wounded sense of like owing something to someone, right? Like they, they spent years in relationships of like owing them information or they didn't have privacy. So then they go the other way and then everything has to be kept to themselves. And there's no, no one is safe. No one is, no one is safe to express to, no one is safe to fully understand. Right. And it's interesting because like, let's say, okay, let's flip the narrative for a second. This is going to blow people's minds. Right. Like, if I go back to the example of the car, right? And I'm like, let's flip it where CA was the one that read the map and I was the one that, you know, got exposed. Could you imagine if that turned into a dialogue of like, this isn't going to be easy for you to hear CA and you are owed this information about how I perceive relationships. And I struggle with it being very like, like I I almost look at relationships in a very like kind of blended way. And I think that when I'm talking to people and I start flirting with them, I actually like realize that that's something that will happen a lot. Like I do it a lot right? And people are like, oh, serial adulterer and like whatever, right? And I sit there and I go, okay, to be fair, yes, let's like, we can sit there in a cultural narrative and like villainize this person. But I want you to hear why this is, why this is tricky, right? Because it's two people's conceptualization of a relationship not matching up. Okay. So CA is now the one who read the map and she's just sitting there like, I need to know that though. Like, I need to know that I'm partnered with someone that sees relationships in a very, like, expansive, like, looser way. Because I entered this relationship thinking that when I partner with you, everyone that I have an attraction to, whatever gender that is, is now no longer going to be interacted with in a casual way. I'm not going to open up that energy. I'm going to be like, oh, nice to see you take care, right? I'm not going to be like, (laughs) you know, like, you know, I'm not going to be lighthearted. I'm not going to be casual. I'm not going to be flirty, right? And if you are partnered with someone who has that level of like perception around relationships where they're like, yes, I am partnered and I kind of keep that energy. I kind of flirt with a lot of people and like, that's just how I am, right? Blah, blah, blah. To me, the more powerful thing that can happen is when you sit there and you ask yourself, why am I not allowing myself to be honest about how I'm interacting 
in this relationship, which is where that defensiveness comes in, right? Why I'm saying I don't want to be caught. Well, why don't I want to be caught? Why don't I want to be caught? I don't want to be caught because what? Does that mean that I'm now responsible? I have to be responsible for how I'm showing up and how I change the contract and how in theory I want to pretend that this is privacy, but it's actually something that is actually impacting my partner. I don't want to see that. I don't want to be honest with how I'm acting in the relationship. I don't want to be honest with how I am mis like misrepresenting privacy and actually acting in a secret way. And then I sit there and I go, why is it needing to be a secret? Right? Let's let's go real big picture. Why does it even need to be a secret? And so when you start asking that question, you're now untangling big narratives, big narratives, because CA, think about it, like think about why we would keep what we might want to say is privacy, but it's actually a secret. Is it actually more related to our dissonance of not being able to navigate that conversation on the other side? So what's easier, what's a better buffer is to just claim it under the scope of privacy. This is just privacy. I see this a lot in um, like family dynamics, uh, like generationally and stuff like that, like the family, like skeletons in the closet, right? And like, I think this is one of those examples of like when information uh, makes that shift from privacy to secrecy, right? Where like, no, like you don't need to tell like three and four and five-year-old children about every horrifying thing that has ever happened in your like family lineage. Right. But when they get to an age where maybe there's information that might actually like affect their lives moving forward in the way that they want to understand themselves and ground themselves in who they are. And you've got all these family secrets that you're not sharing. A lot of times I see that dynamic that you just brought up. It's not because that, you know, they're now an adult child or like older teen child and like probably could navigate the conversation. But like this person, the adult that like has the information to share the parent or grandparent, like they are scared to navigate that conversation and explore what that might mean. And maybe they never actually even explored what it meant for them to learn that information. And when it was given to them, they just kind of like bottled it up and they were like, oh my God, I didn't need to know that. Like, and they bottled it up because it, they didn't want to explore what that meant for them, right? To have this particular thing in their family history or whatever. And so they don't want to share that with their continuing, like the rest of the family members, because you know, they don't want to explore it for themselves inside of themselves. And they're, they don't want to, they assume that if they put that on their child, that it will be as a burden on them as it was to, to me, right? Like if I was given the secret and I didn't want to explore it and now it's this burden that I carry around, like, I don't want to burden my child. Well, I'm again, assuming their narrative. I'm assuming that it would be a burden to them rather than information that they might actually be yeah, it might be difficult to process, but they might be grateful to know that that's part of the family history and it might like connect dots for them and actually bring clarity and it might make a lot of things make more sense for them. And like, maybe they would have welcomed the information as difficult as it might've been. And they don't get to do that if you keep that a secret forever and take it to your grave. And that happens a lot. Right. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is what's interesting is like... When we're talking about... How do we define that very difficult line of like private information turning into a secret when we're trying to differentiate those two? One of the things we need to ask ourselves is, 
does this information shift the informed consent? Think about that for a second. So every relationship, please don't just think of this as partnerships. Every relationship has a invisible contract. Some actually might write these things down, but most of these are just assumed assumed narratives that we kind of just play out, right? So in a typical relationship, right? Like CA said, if we talk about not the alternative relationship styles, but the ones that are typical in our culture, when two people start talking and they start saying, hey, let's kind of solidify this, let's kind of define the relationship. Once that happens, even though there's no written conversation, there's no active dialogue, the majority of people that enter a relationship in this cultural, like, you know, collective will be like, you're not going to be having side chicks, correct? Right? Like, that's just part of the like perceived contract. All right. Yes. Well, that's why we're talking about the shift happening. All right. The shift happening of privacy, 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 and then slowly, when it can shift into secrecy is whatever you have, going on internally, emotionally, if this is a behavior, if this is something that maybe it's like an addiction or something you're struggling with, right? Yes, that is your individualized issue to handle. And it's your individual problem to start processing and interacting with. And by having that, whatever that presentation that that is experience that you're, we're talking about by having that in your relating to another person in that relationship, does that change the contract? So see, I actually brought up another one. We were brainstorming about finances. Okay. So let's say we combine finances, right? And you start dating me and I don't know, we, you know, we've been dating for like a year or something and we decided to have a shared fund of like, you know, five-year plan of putting a down payment down by like on a house. Okay. So we have a shared fund of like, we want to do this together. So that's our shared fund of the down payment fund. Okay. I'm dating for a year and I knew that I struggle with a gambling addiction. And before I was in a partnership, I was individually dealing with that problem, completely individual. And with my own bank accounts, I was also individually dealing with that financial issue on my own. It was individualized. It was in one silo. Now I entered into a relationship that is expanding that and it's now opening up another avenue or access point, all right? And sure, is it still my individualized problem that I need to take care of? Yes. And at what point when I start maxing out my bank account and I realize, okay, I put like five grand in there, right? It's my five grand, CA. It's my five grand in the shared account. Do you hear how complicated this is? So now I go in the shared account and the five grand that was collecting interest for the past year is now all of a sudden gone. And CA goes into that account and sees her five grand. That's it. And she's shocked and she's like, oh my God, we were like on our way. We were doing a good job, like saving a bunch of money to get this down payment. Like I was really excited. I thought we were going to be able to do this in a few years. Right. And I'm looking at it and now all of a sudden you're like, okay, so obviously I'm going to talk to Jamie about this. So you talk to me and you go, Jamie, like what, where, what happened? Like we had 10 grand. It was doing good. We were putting money in every month. What happened? Well, it was my money. Okay. Well, yeah, it, it, it is your, your money. And I'm just curious because we created a mutual consented to plan about a down payment for a house. And now all of a sudden, 
that plan is radically changing right before my eyes. And I look at you and I look at, you know, I'm looking at CA and I go, well, I had a problem I needed to fix. So I took care of it. I don't know what else to tell you. I don't disclose that the addiction is impacting our relationship. I don't disclose that I may actually be perpetually dealing with this until I actually get like concrete help around it. And you are none the wiser and you're just sitting there like, okay, so do you want me to like take out my money? Like, what do you want me to do? No, 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 no. Just, I'm good for it. Like, give me it. Give me like a month or two. I'll put, I'll get it back in there. Uh, Okay. Um, so you hope for the best. And then this happens again and again, and that house is never bought. And so what we're talking about is that is an individualized problem that slowly creeps in to a mutual a mutual target, so as to speak, right? A target of buying a house. And by not actually being honest about what's going on, sure, you can make the case that it is their money. I could make that case. And I'm changing the contract, right? So there are two things coexisting. It is my money. It is my $5,000. And I am no, I, by not explaining any of it and just taking my money out, that was the moment I changed the contract. So that is the moment it turned into seemingly secrecy on my end. And I was hoping that she wouldn't notice that I took out that five grand and she wouldn't notice that I took it out and it didn't accrue interest and I didn't add the the thousand dollars I was doing each month. And I was hoping that you weren't noticing for a few, for a few months, right? And so I can make the argument, what's a couple of grand? Like, yeah, I missed a couple of the month payments that we agreed to. Like, what's the big deal? I took it out and I put it back in. I made it back. Now there's five grand in there. So I don't know what, why are you stressing about this, right? What the partner is going to say is, I didn't sign up for that. Like, I want to support you. If you're if you're struggling, I want to support you. And absolutely, I don't think we should have a shared account if this is a gambling problem. What are you talking about? I didn't say that. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't say I had a problem. I just said I'm good for it. And what happens there is the reason this matters, right, is because this is actually having real life implications on the other person's life. Sure. Right. Like in their life, their vision for themselves, buying a home is one of their like goals in their next three to five years. And you are actively now being a roadblock to that goal that they want in their life. And they want to do it with you. Like you're part of that plan. But at the end of the day, like the reason you're part of that plan is because you guys agreed on it. And if you're no longer going to actively contribute to that plan, then that person deserves the ability to make a decision about their life, about how they want to move forward. Maybe they close the shared account and maybe they stay with you and try to reach their goal and their dream another way and just save up on their own and buy the house only in their name. (laughs) And maybe they do stay with you. Like, who knows? And you can, you know, live with them or whatever. But like, maybe they just have to shift and adjust how they're actually going to actively play out their life based on the information that's being given to them. But if you don't give them the information, then they don't get to make those autonomous choices over their own life. You're making choices for them, essentially, or at least you're limiting the choices available to them. And so right. that that's important and that matters. It's coming down to, do you want an authentic relationship or not, regardless of what you're talking about? Do you want it to be fully informed? Do you want to be partnered with someone that fully invites you in to what's going on and you have fully informed consent when you are having sex with them, when you are joining bank accounts, when you are marrying them, when you are having children with them? Do you want to have a relationship where both parties are fully informed? What I want to say about that is the way that the information comes about matters. So yes, fully informed consent is one of the huge themes that this episode is now boiling down to. And that informed consent needs to be freely and authentically 
given the information that people consent to, like the people are building their consent upon needs to be freely given between the two partners. And this is where that like, that like real rub comes in is anxiety in relationships tell us that just gaining more access to our partner, unfettered access to anything and everything about them, having that life 360, having every password and literally just like monitoring everything about our partner's life. Anxiety tells us that that's the solution. Yeah. The all or that, nothing. Well, I'll get informed. I'll, I'll get informed consent because I'll know everything. So I'll have all the information. So I'll know what I'm consenting to at all times. Right. Jamie and CA, they said it on the podcast. They said informed consent, right? Like this is, I'm getting my information. Okay. Hold up. Hold up a second. Yes. We want everybody to have informed consent, but in an authentic relationship, the information is freely given one partner to another or one you know, parent to the child or whoever the dynamic is, friend to friend. It's not taken. You don't take information to gain that informed consent because now you're bypassing your partner's consent in some ways. And even if both people look, even if both people agree to this dynamic and say, sure, have all my passwords, you give me all your passwords. And then you're just living this like constantly monitored life. That's still... To me, I'm going to make the argument that that still is not the most authentic dynamic that you could nurture between yourself and somebody else. The most authentic dynamic that you can nurture is the it is built on communication, right? We're trying to build that trust, right? We, we want to trust our partners. We want to trust the information that they're giving us and trust the various contracts, you know, that we're entering into, spoken or unspoken. And that trust is built on communication, freely given, not just fettered, unfettered access, forcibly taken Sure, and I, whenever we need more information. Right. And I think that's the, that's a solid point that you guys can sit with and absorb. Because if you think about it, like if I have unfettered access to CA, notice that we did that example earlier about the ring. It, I didn't have trust. I just had access. Right. So, so I, I was like, I, I was freaking out because I don't even remember the example, so I'm probably probably butchering it. But it was basically like, why did you turn off your Life 360? Right? I didn't even have trust. I just had access. Right? I just I just had access, and then the second it was checked and it was off, I was like, oh my god! <gasps> right? So that's your proof. You don't by having unfettered access does not mean you have automatic trust. It just means that you have access. So that's why we're showing you both sides of the coin. There is full access and no access. And both of those sides do not establish the communication points that need to occur in a relationship that builds the skills around that interchange of informed consent and full autonomy, right? So those are the two concepts that we need you to hear is like, yes, we need informed consent and we need full autonomy because that autonomy is the thing that starts building the foundation that like, hey, I need you to know this, not because you're hovering over me like big brother. I need you to know this because I'm very aware that this may actually impact the contract that we both mutually agreed upon. And I'm coming from my own accord with my own volition. And I'm coming to you knowing that that is something we do need to discuss. That is why that relationship will be so much more healthy than a relationship that's just like, okay, nobody shares passwords or everybody shares passwords or nobody does this or everybody does this. Like those two factors are not the solution. The solution is, can both of us understand and, and, and actually pinpoint the shift that occurs between privacy interchange like switching into secrecy I did want to leave you guys with one more thing because we didn't really talk about the privacy um like what actually privacy getting violated true yeah so yeah. I did want to talk about that for a second so if I am if I am processing my childhood trauma okay and I am in a partnership and then let's say it's a couple like a couple months old right? 
And I talked to my partner and I go, yeah, you know, like there's a lot I'm going through and I'm processing some of my childhood trauma. And, you know, I have given you a little bit like of insight of like what I went through when I was a kid. Um, But I'm just trying to get to a sense of like ownership over it. I'm just trying to understand it in a new way. So I actually, I'm doing it through like some processing journaling. I, you know, I'm kind of doing some creative stuff with it. Um, And that's what you're going to see me doing sometimes at night. Like when you see me in bed, that's what I'm doing. Um, And it's really private. So like, obviously, like, you know, it goes on set, you know, I don't, I just need you to understand, like, do, do not like, just flip it open, like carelessly, like, don't go through it, because it's definitely something I need you to realize is really important for me to process, right? So I go away, I even say it, right? I even give them the clarity of like, hey, this isn't something that I want you just like you mindlessly explore, right? I go away for a few days and visit my family. And my partner texts me and he goes, wow, I just finished that. You know, I just finished the story you wrote about your childhood. You know, I just wanted you to know how beautiful like it was. And I feel so much closer to you. All right. This is exactly what we're talking about with autonomy. So someone could hear that and be like, what, what, why is that a problem? Like they wrote it down. Like we're in a partnership. Like, obviously it's, it's helpful information for me to know about their childhood, right? Like, what did I do wrong? And I go, the one step that needed to occur was that person coming to you with that information, not you taking that information, which is why that person on the other side, the one that was journaling about their childhood trauma is going to feel violated. Especially if they have childhood trauma, because traumatization typically feels like a violation of self, right? So it could even re-traumatize them, right? So we we see the reaction as I can't believe that you did that. What what? Why are you reacting like that? I just said it was beautiful. It's, it's not about whether or not the story is good. It's so deeply important for me to work through some of this, like on my own, knowing that I have my own space and my own like sacred space to process this. And I'm not in a place where I feel as though I can like fully share my story yet. And now realizing that you just walked over that and just opened that book and like, read it it's a it feels violating that is that point of when someone is personally processing something and the partner takes it and by the way ca we talked about this like people these aren't just partners our mothers do it our dads do it our sisters do it they they bypass yeah siblings brothers whatever like they, they might be like, we're a family. Of course I need that information. I want to know that you were struggling. I wanted to know what you went through when you were seven. So why wouldn't I want that information, right? And what we're coming down to is why that would feel such a violation of privacy is because that type of information must be freely given. Exactly. So I mean, that that's, that's exactly what we were saying just previously. I'm glad we went into the privacy example, because I feel like we did a lot of good work on the secrecy. And we kind of like, gave a quick definition of what's the difference between privacy and secrecy with the silos, but we didn't give a real good solid definition of or like example of what privacy looks like in practice, you know, like when you live in close proximity with other people. But at the end of the day, ultimately, it comes down to how the disclosure of information occurs and is it happening autonomously from the person who has the information to give and share or is it being, you know, forced in some way, which is the one end of the extreme and forcibly taken and violated or is it being completely hidden and kept away. If it's information that pertains to the relationship, then that's, you know, the other end of the spectrum that we don't want. And then 
knowing that I, I feel like hopefully knowing that gives you guys some clarity moving forward as to like creating almost like an internal compass. Like when you're trying to navigate this privacy and secrecy concept in your own lives, if you are a person with, you know, information that you're sitting on or you're processing or whatever it is, and you're not certain, is this something I I need to share? Is this something that I can keep to myself? It usually does come down to if it in some way impacts the relationship, changes that informed consent contract concept. If it's information that's really going to impact and create like real changes in the dynamic, then maybe we are now in the realm of information that you should freely disclose to your partner or your friend or your sibling or whoever. But if not, if you assess the information and using like that example of just processing your own personal like childhood trauma and expressing yourself artistically in some way, and you say, does this actually impact my relationship? And if it doesn't, and you're not ready to share that yet or ever, you don't have to. You are allowed to have a private personal life just because you're in a relationship or just because you're in a family. It doesn't mean that you have to become so enmeshed in this other person's identity that you don't have any bits of your own self to just have for yourself, right? Like you do. You you are an individual person and you are allowed to have your own internal life that just belongs to you. And so that's kind of like an internal compass that hopefully you can use and maybe think about that in the reverse as well. Like if there's information you're wanting from somebody else, maybe do that quick internal check and go, is this information that I want or need because it does affect me or it affects our relationship in some emotional or logistical way? Then yes, like maybe go ahead and ask that direct question, open up that direct communication. But if you're just like, oh, I just like feel like they owe it to me or I feel like I should know everything about every conversation they have with their friends or everything they ever went through or every relationship they've ever been in, like I should be knowing all of that stuff. If that's what's like motivating you to like keep pushing your partner to like talk about things or your friend or whoever, maybe, maybe check yourself. Maybe, maybe realize like, oh, I might be encroaching on their privacy a little bit. Maybe they are allowed to just have some things that they don't have to share with me until they're ready or they want to do so autonomously. Right. And I think that last part, until they're ready or until they do so autonomously, it doesn't mean that they have to go into every detail of their childhood trauma. It just means that if they feel, if they're starting, if it's a new relationship, a couple months, like, yeah, they might get to the point where they're like, these are the main points that I've been able to process through. And these are like what CA said about like the family, like sharing things about the past that are relevant to the current situation. Like you can distill it down to your partner when you feel ready and you can say, hey, these are the points that I think you need to know about some of the way my trauma shows up and how I'm trying. Yep. When I get fear, when you close the door, when the lights get turned up, like those are things I need you to understand. So I've distilled it down to things that are going to actually show up in my lived reality in our mutual silo that I'm able to articulate as relevant enough to this relationship. Okay. That is what we're talking about because it's not give me every detail and every single thing. And I need access points in every direction. It is, can I honor that my partner is doing that work and distilling it so I can better relate to them and better bond with them? And like we said before, can I see them authentically for who they are? And I trust that they're doing that work of identifying those points. I don't have to find those points for them. I don't. Exactly. I can trust that. I trust them to disclose what they need to disclose when they need to disclose it. It really does. It really does come down to, are we building a relationship built on mutual trust that is occurring through honest and open and direct communication? Because like we said before, keeping everything a secret, that doesn't build trust. Having unfettered access, that doesn't build trust either. It doesn't. It feels like it does, but it doesn't. So 
hopefully this brought some clarity. Yes. Let's leave it at that. This one's at, oh, I do want to mention you guys. So we did update our Patreon. If anyone wants to do some production support, go on to our Patreon, check out the new level. Uh, and then also I wanted to give credit. I don't have the names, but this, some of these scenarios were inspired by one of my viral videos that went, uh, you know, that hit high, like, on Facebook and some of those things. So if you guys want to check out the video that inspired this episode, I'll link it in the show notes. And then some of the comments, some of the, the stories that people shared were some of the inspirations for the role playing. So if you guys want to see where this originated from, click on the show notes and go to that video. Uh, and yeah, we will see you next time. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much, y'all, for tuning in. If anything we said resonated, please subscribe and leave a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. This absolutely helps us grow, and we really do value your voice on this podcast. So if you have anything you'd like to contribute, any tips, any topics, or if you just want to say hi, you can email us at unlearned at recollectedself.com. You can find us on Instagram at the unlearned podcast or individual Instagrams at recollect itself and CAs is at embracing divergence. You can also find us over on TikTok under those handles. If you want to join our Patreon for $5 a month, you can be our coffee fiend club member. And that's going to give you access to our podcast within a podcast, which is called unhinged. This is basically where we let loose completely unedited we are literally just shooting the breeze having fun you can see our full personalities and it is a blast honestly it's pretty fun so if you want to join us you can find that at patreon.com unlearned and that's it the last thing i want to tell you is i want you to be brave enough to fight for the person you want to become and this is how we do the work